The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about emotions in the workplace and emotions in business. And I have this wonderful book in front of me. It's called Emotional Business, Inspiring Human Connectedness to Grow Earnings and the Economy by Ravi Rao. And let me tell you a little bit about Ravi Rao. He is a physician. He is, oh my goodness, what what an incredible background. Let me tell you about it. He has pursued multiple paths along his professional journey and it's um, he's been a child development researcher, a neurosurgeon in training and a corporate management consultant, and as an expert in social-emotional neuroscience. He's a sought-after speaker and consultant to Fortune 500 companies, and he talks about collaboration, conflict resolution, and emotional business strategy, which is so needed in this world. He has served clients in 14 countries over the past decade and supported charitable organizations around the planet with his expertise. He's a keynote speaker at numerous conferences, including the Society of Emotional Intelligence, and he's a graduate of John Hopkins, where he received his postgraduate surgery. No, he received his postgraduate surgical training at Harvard, and he now lives in Chicago. Although I know he lived in LA as well, and this is his first book, Emotional Business, and uh, it's a great book. So thank you so much for joining us, Ravi. Oh, my pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, let's talk a little bit about why is it that you wrote this book? You know, there are two ways to answer that question. Part of it is what I think is needed, and that is that businesses today have really adopted this idea that they want to function like machines, and that in the end, people should be treated like machines, and and we should not have any emotions in the workplace. But as many people will tell you, uh, that leads to places that are uninspiring, uh, places that are very neglectful of their employees. And in the end, uh, that sort of approach leads to companies that fail. On the second level, I would say I wrote this book in part because I have been in such companies. I've been in such organizations. Um, you know, you work for a place and you want to be inspired. You want to feel uh, that I, it is something important that you're doing, that you feel connected to the work, connected to who you're serving, connected to your colleagues in the workplace. But many places are so stressed, you don't feel that. And in the end, 
because of my own experience of feeling so disconnected, I said, you know, I've had the chance now to figure out why connection happens or doesn't happen, and it's important to share that. So that's why I wrote the book. Yeah, that is that is so terrific, and I really enjoy the book very much. You know, and it, I just had an incident that happened with um, a client this week that I was trying to get to some of the emotional issues in this conflict between clients, and um, actually the client was saying, let's keep this all business, let's keep the emotions out. But in truth, the only emotion that this particular client was dealing with was anger. And he didn't seem to think of that as an emotion. He thought of that as just a reaction. And uh, it was real interesting to me because in as a mediator, and I'm sure you know this, that you're in conflict resolution, a lot of the things really aren't business problems. They're emotional problems or they're... They're really problems about the failure to connect, the failure to understand each other, the failure to communicate effectively, and then it turns into a conflict in a, in a lawsuit. And so, I mean, I just kind of looked at him like, can we just keep all the emotions out, but I'm so angry. <laughs> you know, it was just, <laughs> it was like very hard for me, and I just said, well, you know, this, this, there are emotions in this, you know, that if there weren't any emotions in this, then then we wouldn't be in the situation. So um, anyway, so I thought this was really revealing in your book as well, that we have to learn to connect differently, and it's not going to work if we're not. That's absolutely right. I, I mean, in the end, we all would like to say, let's keep the emotions out of this. And what we're really saying is, let's keep the irrationality out of it. Let's keep the hostility out of it. Let's keep the volatility out of it. But frankly, if you say, I want to keep emotions out of my workplace, you can do that. But the only way to, to keep emotions out of a workplace is to keep humans out of the workplace. <laughs> right. If you have humans there, there's going to be emotion. Right. You see human connectedness and healing conflict as a biological function. And I guess that's from being a medical doctor and a neurosurgeon. Could you talk more about that? You know, I think it is a, it's so compelling to just look out the window or look into the sky or look into the water. Every species on the planet survives because of its connectedness. Uh, birds fly together. Horses run together. Fish swim together. And humans, uh, when we really look into the intricacies of the brain, and where emotion happens in the brain. And yes, it happens in the brain, not in the heart. When we actually look at that, we realize if the fish swim together and the horses run together, the humans feel together. More than the other animals, we have so much brain space devoted to awareness of others. Even babies, they know what's going on. They sort of figure out who's stressed. They, if they enter the wrong environment that's unsafe, they start to cry. We understand from our earliest days that there are other people. We can read them and pick up on their signals as, as infants even before we have language or experience, and it's what makes us survive. Uh, it, what, it's what allows us to take care of each other and promote the survival of the human species. Yeah, every animal has emotions. You know, I, I watch the National Geographic channel. <laughs> I have my own golden retriever, and I know when he's joyful, and I know when he's sad. And it isn't just the tail, 
I mean, the look on his face, the actions. So, I mean, we all are emotional beings, right? Absolutely. And the, you know, my my favorite uh, example of this is that if you put a infant who's about six months old uh, in the same room with a puppy, they just stare at each other. They are so fascinated, even across the species, about who is this? Why are they different than me, right? right. It's, it's adorable to watch, but it just shows that as much as we want to say, oh, you know, humans uh, are, are competitive, they're cutthroat, they're inherently evil, oh, the nature of humanity is inherently to hurt one another, you know, the biology doesn't support that. The biology seems to say that even at the earliest opportunities, infants are very aware of each other, and we carry that into adulthood. Now, we might get taught opposite lessons. We might be socialized to be so competitive that we feel like it's important to sabotage other people's progress. We might find uh, that we're not really taught on how to deal with conflict that will eventually arise. But to say that humans are inherently uh, destructive of one another or unaware of what other people feel um, it goes against what uh, the science is showing us in terms of how the infant mind works and how the infant brain develops in terms of the different functions in the brain. Yeah, and I, I love what you said about the emotions are in the brain and not in the heart. And I think that people have to recognize that. It is. Um, yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. It, it, you know, it's okay in our poetry and our songs and all that to say uh, emotion is in the in the heart and, oh, I love you with all my heart and so on. But we have to, you know, the one thing about that 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 is um, that takes us away from what we can really achieve is to understand that things that happen in the brain we can get better at. So arithmetic happens in the brain, and we don't question the idea that we spend year after year after year in elementary school to get better at arithmetic. Um, we say that spelling happens in the brain, right, or reading happens in the brain, or even music creativity. We say, oh, that happens in the brain, uh, and architecture and calculus and even democracy. Those things happen in the brain, and we know that if we study them and learn them and practice them, we get better at them. Emotion, and, so we, yeah. and emotion happens in the brain, too, so we can get better at that. I love that. I love that, because people say, oh, I am what I am, you know, and, oh, well, I have an anger problem. Well, so that what you're saying is it's, you can deal with your anger, is what you're saying. It's a learned behavior. You can learn how to deal with anger. It's like I say that anger is really something that, that is helpful to us because if we get angry, it tells us there's something wrong. But we don't have to react to the anger. We can respond to the anger which is a very different skill. Very different skill. You cannot tell or uh, instruct someone to feel something. You can't just tell someone, be happy. You can't uh, tell someone, don't get angry at this. They, you, know, you feel what you feel. Right. That's exactly what you said. It's the strategies to say, when I am scared, when I am disappointed, when I am frustrated, I need to know that. I need to be able to recognize that some people get caught up in it, they don't even realize that they're shouting. Right. It let, they let their anger or their emotions rule them instead of them saying, oh, gee, I'm feeling angry right now. What is this all about? What do I need to do? How do I need to make this better? And it, it is a, sometimes a knee-jerk reaction that people need to stop and pause for a moment and say, wait a minute. <laughs> why am I feeling this way? But, you know, some of these people like this client I was talking about doesn't recognize his own feelings except being angry. 
that starts way, way earlier than adulthood. Yes. Even as kids, you know, if if a five-year-old uh, boy cries, um, some adult will say, stop crying. Boys don't cry. Right, right. right? So, uh, or if you ask uh, a young girl, you know, how are you? And if she says, I don't feel good or I'm, I don't, you know, I'm unhappy today, some adult will socialize her and say, you know, girls are supposed to be polite and smiling and always tell people that things are fine. Right. And how many women, regardless of how successful they are in their professions and, you know, competitive and so on, they're still inside feeling like, well, I can't be myself. I have to be all smiley and polite because that's what's expected of women. Um, you know, these kind of gender things both diminish awareness of what am I really feeling. If, yes. if you have to ignore it all the time, you know, you start to be unaware of it. Yes. So we are speaking today with Ravi Rao, who is the author of Emotional Business, Inspiring Human Connectedness to Grow Earnings and the Economy. So what do you see as the three emotional roots of conflict, Ravi? When we think about conflict, whether it's in a workplace, really even, or a family even, just anytime you have groups of humans together, there are natural things that people are going to disagree about. That's, of course, going to be the case. You bring humans together, there's going to be emotions. You bring humans together, there's going to be conflict. It isn't uh, a bad statement to say, oh, we brought five people together and they're fighting. If you bring five people together, it's inevitable that at some point they may fight about something. The question is to separate out what is the piece that has to do with the intellectual things they might be disagreeing about, whether that's some scarce resource some ideals that they're trying to work out, even some sense of their own identity that they might be fighting about. Um, you know, and we see this in things like Congress and even in many business boardrooms and so on. The question is, what part of the conflict is rooted in that? And then what part of the conflict, uh, outside of those items, ideals, and identity, what parts are the emotional? What is arising out of fear? What is arising out of disappointment? and what is arising out of anger or, more specifically, hostility. So when you're in the middle of that conflict and you feel the tensions, it is important, as you said a little bit ago, you have to take that step back, not only at the individual level, but even on your group or faction or team or unit. Okay, what are we actually fighting about here that is something that we need to solve, the scarce resource, the definition of what our mission is, et cetera, versus what is going on for the fighting here just because we want to get back at that guy because he hurt us, right. or we want to get back at her because she took something away from us that was once ours. And being able to discern, okay, what's sadness, anger, fear driving into the conflict? Right. But how, how often in the workplace will people stop and do that? You know, if you have a really good manager that is enlightened and has that kind of insight, they can do that. But unfortunately, that isn't really part of the game. And that's what you're talking about in this book, is that we need to like look at these things, right? We definitely need to look at them once the conflict is there. But there's even another layer that people can relate to, which is it's much easier to prevent conflict in the first place than to try to solve it when things are already terrible at the 11th hour. The more that we can do in companies, and the kinds of companies I've worked with have ranged everything from sort of smaller startups all the way to $50 billion, $100 billion type companies uh, across the world. Even then, 
whether it's five people in the company or 50,000, you see the same patterns that will eventually happen. It isn't this shocking surprise that, oh my gosh, we have people and they are in conflict. How, how could this have happened? Companies have to be proactive. Groups have to be proactive. Even if you just own a bakery on the corner or run a small restaurant, if you have people there, they're going to have some conflict. So you have to be proactive to say, what do I do to keep people communicating? What do I do to keep people feeling connected to the other people in the workplace, keep them feeling engaged, and keep them feeling motivated and inspired to keep going and doing the work of our business? The more we do that proactively, the less these sadness, anger, and fear components uh, come forth, uh, particularly in the conflict realm. Yeah, and I think we should kind of clarify what we mean about conflict, that conflict in itself shows us that there's differing perspectives. So conflict actually can be a great impetus for creativity, for, for new things, for change, positive change. So I think that you're talking about really like like what you said, to keep communicating that it's okay that you and I see things differently. It's okay that I can see your perspective and you can see my perspective. So conflict in itself really isn't the problem. It's the escalating conflict that, that churns, that becomes hostility, right? You're right. And I, and that's an important distinction to make. When I talk about conflict here, um, I'm more so speaking about those emotional elements which then lead to more things like sabotage, hostility, undermining, and those aren't technically conflict. Those are just emotionally threatening behaviors that undermine the performance of each other in the business. And conflict on its own, which is, as you said, these differences of perspectives, that alone is healthy, right? It drives a lot of great business decisions and great business results to have the debate. The question is, when does it then just become about Department A, trying to see the failure of Department B. And while that might sound extreme, uh, it happens a lot. Uh, I was just in a company earlier this year where uh, there was a meeting to decide who would be responsible over a fairly small task to do. Um, And 45 people from two different departments came to the meeting and presented PowerPoint after PowerPoint after PowerPoint. And at the end, by, by the end of the meeting, nobody raised their voice, but there were just snide comments coming through from both sides uh, for multiple hours of this meeting. And I said, we have 45 people in the room making snide comments. None of this helps the customer. None of this actually helps the business. This is simply just who's trying to be top dog in a very uh, competitive area. And we're not talking about a huge business result. We're not talking about a huge uh, area of the business that is about a major decision that will affect things for years. It was a fairly small thing, but they had, uh, part of the reason I was there was that they had started to see business failures because they were having a lot of these kind of meetings where if you're in a company right now, if somebody's listening and they say, oh my gosh, every time we have a question now, we have to have three meetings about it and a committee to decide what will happen in the agenda of each meeting. That means that people are not inherently feeling connected to each other or the business So instead, these kinds of hostilities emerge and detract from the ability of those people to make the business successful. So let's talk about the workplace, because here we are sitting on the campus of the University of California, and we have people who are working here who are professors. We also have students, and we also have people driving by who are in businesses. So what should a person do if they find themselves in conflict with their boss? If you have a conflict with your boss, one of the most important things for that boss to see 
uh, is in the least emotional way possible uh, what the facts are. And then, after that's presented, to talk about, as a secondary factor, the emotional impact that those facts have. One of the things that we tend to do, I've done this with my bosses when I uh, feel terrible, is we lead with the emotional trigger. We come in and say, I'm upset. Or we come in and say, this isn't working for me. Or we, or we may be feeling so fearful we wouldn't say anything directly to the boss, but every time the boss says something, we roll our eyes, we grit our teeth. What the boss needs to see is the combination of both the analytical piece and the emotional piece. When we lead with the emotional piece, when we say, I'm upset, they'll be defensive. They'll suddenly go into a mode where they're feeling attacked, that they're doing something wrong. What I would encourage people to do if you have a struggle with your boss is create something structured that isn't emotional and then combine that with something structured that is emotional. So if there was something that the boss was doing that was making people frustrated, let's say the boss is micromanaging the team's work and keeps insisting on twice-a-week meetings to see the progress and the meetings are so long that the group can't get the work done, one of the things that would be helpful is to say, here's how fast the group is working and, and show some kind of calendar, make a, a short PowerPoint or a chart and say, here's where the team's time is going, and here's how these longer meetings twice a week are affecting the ability of the group to make progress. And once the manager has accepted that, the manager is most likely to say, now, how, does the team, how is the team reacting to this? They're giving you the invitation to bring forth the emotional information. What they don't want to have happen is to just be attacked with a flurry of anger, with a flurry of hostility, or even sadness. They won't know what to do if a person just comes in and cries without sort of giving them the objective information as well. So bosses in particular, when we're having that problem, figure out what they would respond to that's objective and then combine that with what they'll respond to that's subjective. Right. And so then we're really helping each other to understand what the issues are. And I think once you understand what the issues are and you get that that response that the the boss says to you, gee... You know, I didn't recognize how much this was taking you away from your work. How are you feeling about it? Well, I'm feeling frustrated. Well, gee, you know what? Let's fix that. So I think what happens is you're, you're focusing on the real issue, and then you can explore the emotions. And maybe you don't even have to explore the emotions, because sometimes if you are with a boss who doesn't want to hear that, um, and you've stuck to the issues and he's resolved it, maybe he doesn't have to know how frustrated you've been. <laughs> because the frustrated, the frustration now is, is dissipated just, uh, just because he's made some changes. So, But what about um, if you have a problem with a co-worker? What about that? Should you use the same strategy? It's a different approach for that. You know, most of us feel like we talk to our boss a lot, and we have a very clear sense of that relationship, and we know that they're the boss or the supervisor, and there's a sort of expectation that there has to be some communication there. In a lot of places, you know, you may have a problem with a coworker, but you don't have any right to go up and tell them anything. Um, it's very hard to actually bring up a challenge or bring up an issue that's changing the environment of the group. Um, and so people say, well, they're my coworker, but, you know, I, I'll just ignore them because they're not my boss. The challenge here is, is that the more that that goes on, it undermines the whole group's confidence. It undermines the whole group's ability to work together if there are pieces 
that are splitting off or one person's alienating themselves from others. In this case, what really has to happen is to form a very clear relationship. This is where I would say, even though what you want to do is come in and say, hey, you're doing these three things and I don't like them, or to tell the person, you're really a jerk. What you actually have to do when it's a coworker is to actually build a better relationship. What does that mean? It might mean, hey, let's grab lunch. I just want to get to know, I don't really know you that well. Do you want to grab lunch sometime? Do you want to grab a coffee sometime? Understanding where the person is coming from, a greater awareness, not only opens the door for you to understand them and perhaps change your own perspective, but once that door is open, it's a two-way street, and that person can start to understand that they have an impact on others. Uh, In fact, when people say to me, oh, I have a problem person in my group that I just don't like, uh, it's counterintuitive again, but the thing you need to do is like them more. The thing you need to do is actually to figure out a way, whether it's a you know, a peace offering gift or taking them to lunch or grabbing a beer after work or uh, sitting next to them the next time the company uh, buys tickets to the local baseball game, uh, having a chance to actually understand the person greater. And that's work. It's n- there's no simple kind of magic wand solution to it. But the idea is that once you really know where the person's coming from and allow them to know where you're coming from, their behavior is very likely to change. It's like that saying, seek first to understand and then be understood. And I think sometimes you think somebody's really hostile, but if you get to know them, you understand maybe where they're coming from and it makes a difference. What about with um, with a group like a committee? I have a committee, for example, <laughs> that is um, is really crazy here. Um, there's multiple people and they're all very strong people and they all have very different opinions and um, it's it's a challenge. There's a lot of conflict trying to get stuff done. So what do you do when you have a, a team that is trying to get stuff done and they're all trying to be the leaders? Sure. A uh, very common situation. I think all of us have been on some kind of effort where uh, there was this kind of chaos going on, and when the chaos was happening, people would start to exert themselves even more, leading to further chaos, right? It's, uh, it, you would think that when people see the problem, uh, they will respond in a different way than what they've done, but they actually tend to escalate. So, you know, somebody tries to take over, and then things aren't working, so they try to take over even more. Uh, there's somebody who tries to micromanage, and then when things aren't going well, they micromanage even more, as opposed to saying, you know, maybe we need to try something different. Um, there's two things I, I tell teams to do, or I would suggest that teams think about. The first answer, if you've got a committee, if you've got a team, and we're just not getting where we need to be. We're not delivering what we need to. We're not deciding what we need to. We're not, uh, in the end, serving our own group's charter or our group's mission. There's two things to, to think about. There is, uh, if you will, a roles piece, and then there is an engagement piece. The roles piece is trying to understand how do we actually get done what we need to get done. That is, um, setting up some rules that people sometimes just take for granted. How do we make a decision here? Is it a democracy? Is it 51% uh, you know, majority get to decide what happens? Is it we have to go for 100% consensus? Is it we make a recommendation to a superior or a boss or somebody else? Sometimes we, we implicitly don't understand what our role is. And we start to get into committee difficulty because we haven't cleared up up front uh, how do we function as a group? What are our practices to get from point A to point B? Um, 
where should we be communicating? Where do we need more information? Uh, how do we split up the work in such a way that it's actually effectively going to get us there? Um, the number one thing I see for teams is that they get an assignment and they jump in right away. And their instinct is, okay, I'm going to solve it on the first day, or we're going to just we're going to try to get this done immediately. We're going to deliver way ahead of schedule. And the problem is, if you just jump right in, you're going to miss the deadline. The teams that come in ahead of schedule take time up front to understand their roles, to understand the decision-making formulas, to understand how they are going to get to the answer. Uh, half the time, the conflict is not even over the idea. It's about deciding how we're going to decide. It's absolutely. Well, you know what? We are just out of time, Ravi. I just think this is a wonderful book, Emotional Business, Inspiring Human Connectedness to Grow Earnings in the Economy by Ravi Rao. So, uh, Ravi, just give your website and we got to go. Mari, thank you so much. My website is www.emotionalbusinesssuccess.com, and it's Ravi Rao is my name, and the last name's R-A-O. Thank you so much, and we'll, we'll talk to you again. Thanks. Thank you. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. right here on KUCI and visit our website at conflicthealing.com. Thanks. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.